your beautiful singing tonight, and tell you what, I think most people took care of their contractual obligation tonight. There may be a few that are in error, and if you just kind of think back and make me a list of uh, who those might be, (laughs) maybe I can find some time this week to just take it to their living room. What do you think? Uh, It is good to see you tonight. Uh, A couple things before we get back to where we left off this morning. Um, First of all, just want to brag in the Lord and uh, thank God for uh, an answered prayer that we saw over the weekend. And uh, I want to be careful because I, I don't want to make every time I'm with people and address people Uh, all about my son, but when Andrew passed away in April, uh, some of you met her because she came with us when we were here on Mother's Day, but Andrew left behind a 17-year-old girlfriend, and you may think, well, that's um, puppy love, whatever, but, you know, my dad always used to say, be careful when you say that, because even if it's puppy love, it's real to the puppy, and that's true, but... Andrew and Ali Elise uh, had been dating for three years and were in a, you know, very as serious as two teenagers can be. That's the kind of relationship that they had. And you can imagine being in her shoes. You know, our hearts really break for her. She's become very much like a daughter to Amy and me. And she was selected um, right after Andrew passed away for... Uh, Governor's School for the Arts. And so for the last three weeks, it culminated this past weekend, but for the last three weeks, she was on campus at University of Kentucky. And for a while there, uh, we really had to push to see that she went on and did that and reminded her that's what Andrew would want her to do, etc. cetera. Uh, so she pushed through and she went on and just want to tell you, we we prayed so much for her, uh, you know, to be away from comforts of home and that kind of thing as she's going through a very difficult thing in her life. But she pushed through and finished that program. And when we were at her commencement at UK yesterday, we were all very much surprised that not only did she finish, but she brought home the major award. So... We're so thankful that God blessed her with the, just the strength to push through that and not, not only just to go and to finish, but to finish so well. And so we're thankful for that. Uh, other thing is just prayer request. As we respond to this road that we're walking, you know, the Lord has opened a lot of different doors to uh, speak to people that typically we wouldn't get to talk to. Uh, did an interview with WYMT a few weeks ago, and that opened up a door uh, to help others that are on this same journey that we're on. And then coming up on Saturday night, I will speak to a regional FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, event. And we found just a treasure, 
just a few weeks ago, two weeks, two and a half, three weeks ago, um, we found a, a beautiful video of a testimony that Andrew had shared this past year. In fact, a year ago right now. And so we're going to take that to that FCA event, and I'll speak, and they've given me the opportunity to share the gospel with a lot of teenage students. And so we're just praying that God will use our journey and our difficulties as an avenue to communicate His glory and His grace. So pray with me this week as I prepare my heart uh, to go and speak to that group of student-athletes on Saturday night. So coming up on Saturday night, if you just remember that in your prayers, I would be so very, very grateful. Let me call your attention back to the Word of God. This morning we looked at one amazing passage of Scripture from the book of Ephesians. So we're in Ephesians 5. In just a moment, we will reread verses 15 through 21. We're talking about the fact that something is missing, and we identified that this morning as what I believe to be a lack of the filling of God's Holy Spirit in our churches and in many of our lives. And so I delivered one point of my two-point message Did you know you could preach one point and fill up an entire service? That's just what God did with it this morning. Um, And then we'll get to the second one. But in my first point this morning, I shared with you how that the Spirit-filled life is just a matter of obedience. You know, God is looking for our obedience We talk so much about commitment, and commitment's a good thing. Some of you made a commitment to come back tonight, and I'm thankful that you did. But God's looking for more than just a commitment. God is looking for our obedience. And Scripture in verse 18 of the text just tells us with no measured, very certain words to be filled with the Spirit. So we looked at that this morning, and we saw together that that verb, be filled, means to be so full that there's no room left empty. It's just not a measure of the Holy Spirit or a good bit of the things of God, but God wants us to be completely wholly filled with His Spirit. We thought about the fact that the verb is very serious in that it's in the imperative mood. So emphatically, it's our commandment to be filled with the Spirit. We learned together that it's plural. It's a plural verb, and so it's for everybody, not just church leadership, not just a select group of super Christians, if you would, but the filling of God's Holy Spirit, whether you're the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker, doesn't make any difference. If you're saved by God's grace, God wants you to be filled with the Spirit. 
I shared with you the old Vance Havner quote. Preacher Vance Havner years ago had just an interesting way with words. And he said one time that so many Christians are so subnormal that when one gets normal, everybody looks at that person as if he or she is abnormal. Well, that should not be the case when you get full of God the Holy Spirit. It's not an abnormal experience, but it's an experience that's available for all of us who have been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and have God's Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. We talked about the fact, last of all, this morning, that the verb's present tense. So it's something that we should always seek. It isn't like the indwelling of the Spirit that God gives us at the moment of our regeneration when we're saved. It's not like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, that happens at the moment of our salvation, nor is it like the sealing of the Holy Spirit that preserves our salvation and puts the mark of God upon us. Those things God just does for us out of His remarkable and wonderful grace. But this filling of the Spirit's not like that. It's something that we pursue. It's something that we seek. It's something that we ask God for. And I believe there were a lot of us this morning who just asked the Lord, Lord, if there's unconfessed sin in our lives pointed out, Lord, if I'm absorbed with myself so that I can't be filled with your Spirit, rid me of that. And I think many of us prayed today, Lord, Fill me up with your Spirit. So it's a matter of obedience. The filling of the Spirit is a matter of obedience. Make sure you get that down. And then we're going to move to the second one tonight after we read the passage of Scripture. Ephesians 5, again beginning verse 15. We'll read down through verse 21 where Scripture says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Pray with me, Lord. Thank you that you've given us uh, another moment to come together tonight to worship, to sing together, to fellowship, and Lord, to learn more from your word. Father, help us as believers to understand more about your Holy Spirit and Lord, to to seek him completely and totally saturating, filling our lives. Father, uh, I pray for anyone that may be listening tonight 
who does not have the Holy Spirit, which means, according to your word, he or she has not received Jesus. So, Lord, uh, take this message, I pray, tonight and direct it toward one who may be hearing who is lost. Convict that person of his or her sins and, and draw that one to you tonight. Father, help us to be filled with your Spirit and to live the life that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let me go back to my question from this morning, which is simply this. Are you right now filled with the Spirit? You remember I told you there are three ways you can answer that. Number one, yes, I'm full of the Spirit. Number two, no, as a matter of fact, I know that I'm not. Or then number three, which I think would be the answer for a lot of us, is I don't know. I just don't know. When I came in tonight, brother asked me a great question about the Spirit. I think that question was, is the Spirit a feeling or a fact, is the way he put it. And let me just make sure we're very clear about this. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling, but it's a fact. Let me actually correct my own language. When we refer to the Holy Spirit... We shouldn't talk about it as if we're talking about some impersonal force. But when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we should call Him who He is. He is He. He is a person. He is real. He is God the Holy Spirit. To reiterate another thing I shared with you this morning, we believe in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father's the first person of the Trinity, the Son's the second, and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Not three gods, but one God who manifests himself three different ways, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a component to the doctrine of the Trinity that's frankly mysterious. We can't get it in our minds. There have been all kinds of illustrations that have been used down through the centuries to try to describe how God exists in three persons. St. Patrick over in Ireland, you know, the clover is a symbol of their nation, and that's because their patron saint, St. Patrick, was once teaching a group of children, and he was dealing with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and he pulled up a three-leaf clover, and he used that as an illustration. He asked the kids, now how many plants are in my fingers, as he held it between his thumb and index finger, and of course the obvious answer was one. There's one plant there, and then he said, notice how it's one plant, but it manifests itself in three leaves. And so he used that as an illustration of the Holy Spirit. Others have used the illustration of water. You know, water is H2O, two parts hydrogen and a part oxygen, but it can exist in three different forms, right? Not like this. Yes. 
you can Google me later and you'll, you'll, you'll find this if, if you've forgotten what you studied back in science in school. But yes, it's two-part hydrogen, one-part oxygen. But how can it exist? It can exist as liquid. It can exist as a solid when it's frozen. It can exist, how? As a gas when it evaporates. But in each of those forms, constitutionally, it's still H2O. And so that's an illustration. So there's been all kinds of illustrations to help people think about the Trinity. And uh, some of it is not uh, the best, or at least some of those illustrations are not the best, but, but at least helpful. And we accept the doctrine of the Trinity by faith because we, we clearly see it demonstrated in Scripture. Even at creation, right? God the Father speaks about Himself as a plural when He creates man. He says what? Let us make man in our image. And that's a reference right there to the Trinity. God the Father speaking in the plural form, referring to Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now how do I know that? Because... Later, in that same text, Scripture talks about the Spirit hovering over the surface of the water. And then when we flip from the Old Testament into the New Testament, John writes in his gospel that Jesus is the very agent of creation. Every now and then, go read John's gospel, chapter 1. It's one of the richest chapters in all the New Testament, it talks about how Jesus created. And then, of course, we see at the baptism of Jesus, where the Son's being baptized, the Spirit of God descends upon Him as a dove, Scripture says, and then God's own voice speaks out of heaven and says what? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So remember this, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, He is not an it. He's not an impersonal force. He's not like on Star Wars where they constantly say, may the force be with you. That's not who the Holy Spirit is. But He is a He. What I'm trying to say to you tonight is, He, the Spirit, is God. The Spirit is God. And He is such a beautiful, precious gift to us. You know, when Jesus had the upper room conversation, New Testament scholars call it the upper room discourse, while He's there in the upper room before He goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane and He's arrested and His trial starts and ultimately He goes to the cross, Jesus promises his disciples, that he is not going to leave them comfortless, but that he's going to descend upon them. He's going to send them another comforter. And my dear friends, aren't we so thankful that we have a comforter in our hearts and in our lives in the precious presence of, 
of the Holy Spirit. Let me say one more thing to you before we get back into the text. You know how we have this language of, of the Lord coming to live in our hearts? And we sing that great, wonderful hymn of the church. Since Jesus came into my heart. I don't know about you, but when I was a little boy and I started hearing that language, I used to think, how can a big man like Jesus come to live in my heart? How does, how's that even possible? Of course, I would grow in my faith and I would come to understand that when we talk about the Lord residing within us, that conversation is all about the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so the question as a believer is never, do I have the Spirit? So I say to you tonight, if you're a child of God, you have the Spirit. You have Him. He's been given to you. Again, what we looked at this morning, Paul writes and he says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you don't belong to Him. So if you don't have the Spirit, you are not saved. But if you are saved, you do have the Spirit. So that's never the question, do I have the Spirit? The question again is, am I allowing the Holy Spirit of God to fill my heart and fill up my life. So, we've talked about the text and we've seen very clearly that it's a matter of obedience. Be filled with the Spirit. So it's the obedient thing to be filled with the Spirit. And here's, as my papa would say, here's where the cow bites the cabbage. Does that translate in Mount Vernon? I believe it does. We know it's an obedient thing, but here's what I want you to really see with me tonight. Not only is it a matter of obedience, but it really is obvious. It's obedient to be filled with the Spirit, but it's obvious when you are filled with the Spirit. Look back down at verse 18. Notice how Paul starts the verse. He says, do not be drunk with wine, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you're just reading verses 15 through 21, which hangs together as a paragraph of Scripture, and you get to verse 18, you read that, be not drunk with wine, because that is excess, you sort of scratch your head a little bit and you have to ask the question, Paul, why are you bringing up drunkenness right here? What in the world does drunkenness have to do with the filling of the Spirit? As a matter of fact, you can go back and read all of chapter 5 and you're going to see that in a portion of chapter 5, Paul talks about the way you used to live and some of the negative things, the sinful things that were in your life before God replaced those with spiritual things and with the Spirit of God. 
And, and you think, why in the world does he go back and bring a negative thing like being drunk and insert it into this conversation about being filled with the Spirit? Let me tell you why he does that. He's providing for us an illustration. It's exactly what he's doing here. You know, those of us that preach and teach, we, we try to find illustrations to help people understand something profound from Scripture. You know, sometimes just a, a little normal, everyday story can open the door for us to understand something. But this is one of those things where we don't have to search for the illustration because writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul puts it right there in this paragraph for us. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that's excess. Another way to translate that is that's debauchery. I'd like to talk to you about 30 minutes about the dangers of alcohol. But that's not our subject tonight. But let me just tell you this. Some of you may not like this. I don't care if you do or if you don't. I'm just telling you the truth. The church is really losing its way when it comes to this issue of alcohol. I'm going to park it right there and leave it there. And uh, I just want to tell you, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived there. But that's not really why it's here. So let me get back to the text. He's using this as an illustration. Let me explain this. When somebody's as drunk as the proverbial skunk, do you know it? I mean, if Cooter Brown walks into the service doing what Cooter Brown always does, do you not know it? Absolutely you do. Now what if I had arrived at this church service tonight drunk with alcohol? You would have seen it. Bloodshot eyes, stained breath, can't walk in a straight line, stammering tongue. You would have said, this guy's not going to get up in our pulpit tonight because he's drunk. I couldn't hide it. Now, I'm not boasting tonight, but I have never, ever, ever in my life been drunk with alcohol, so I'm quite sure I couldn't hide it. And I think you would have known it. You would have said, it's obvious that this man has showed up drunk tonight, and there's no way he's going to preach in our church in that kind of state. It would have been obvious. That's what Paul is saying here. Just as obvious as it is when someone's drunk with wine, with any kind of alcohol, it's obvious when someone is full of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I say to you tonight, it's not just a matter of obedience, which it is, but it's also very obvious. It's obvious, Paul writes, when somebody is filled with the Spirit. What I want you to see is in your copy of Scripture from verse 18 all the way down through verse 21, you're looking at one great big sentence. Do I have any grammar Nazis here tonight? All right, English teacher. All right, there's one. Is there another? 
All right, you're pointing at somebody, at somebody else, all right. I'm a little bit of one myself, and, and it's because I had good grammar teachers, and here's what they always taught me. They said, Alan, watch your punctuation and never, ever, ever write with run-on sentences. And I try to pass that on to, to students that I teach down at the Bible College at Clear Creek and, and my own sons. I'm going to tell you, can I say this very quickly? When, when we stopped diagramming sentences, grammar went out the door. And so I, I suggest to you tonight, if you have any influence in education, tell those grammar teachers to start diagramming sentences again so that these kids learn sentence structure. Enough about that. Here's what I'm saying. You and I shouldn't use run-on sentences, but when you're writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit like the old Apostle Paul, you can write however you want to. And I want you to see it. Everything you read in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21 revolve around being filled with the Spirit. Look at it. Paul writes and he says, it's obvious, it's like being drunk when you're filled with the Spirit because you'll speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You'll sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Run on sentence. You'll give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Run on sentence. Paul says, I'm not finished with it. He says, you'll also submit yourselves to one another in the fear of God. All of those words... Each of those verses spring off of that verb, be filled with the Spirit. So, Paul is saying here, I'm not just telling you to be filled with the Spirit of God, but I'm describing for you what the Spirit-filled life looks like and how obvious it is. And the first thing he points out in verse 19 is the Spirit-filled life is worshipful. Do you see it there? Notice again what he writes. He says, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. How beautiful is that verse? And what does that verse describe? That verse describes a worshipful life. Every Saturday night, if we weren't out doing something else, in our household at 7 o'clock in the 70s and 80s, early 80s, there was must-see TV. Roy Clark, Buck Owens, and the whole hee-haw gang. Hee-haw. Some of you are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Go home and Google it. Go home, look it up. There was this thing called Hee Haw. And we watched it, folks. Didn't we watch it every Saturday night? I mean, <laughs> we'd watch Hee Haw at 7 o'clock, and then at 8 o'clock, the Lawrence Welk Show would come on. Talk about a contrast. 
I liked Hee Haw a lot better than Lawrence Welk myself. Amen. So we'd watch Hee Haw and, you know, uh, all that slapstick comedy and the country music. And my favorite part when I was a little boy would be at that moment during the show. It happened every show. All of a sudden, you'd see Archie Campbell and Junior Samples and Buck and, and Roy Clark and all the, the whole Hee Haw gang as they sat there together on those old hay bales and the hound dogs were there and then all of a sudden they'd start singing. You remember the song, Gloom, Despair, and Agony on Me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And they'd holler out, whoa, you remember it. We laugh about it, and it was funny, you know. It was funny back then. <laughs> but can you believe that we have so many born-again Christians that have the gift of the Holy Spirit who actually live their lives that way? Gloom, despair. And what an indictment on a child of God. What a terrible indictment on a child of God. And of all people, I know that you walk through difficult valleys in life. I know that. I get, trust me, I get it. But beloved, how blessed are we tonight? How blessed to know that our sins are forgiven, to know that we're on our way to heaven, and beyond what we have coming in the future, to have the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives right now, how, how blessed are we? I'm telling you, I can't imagine walking through the valley of life that we're in so many times without the presence of Jesus. And regardless of who you are or what you're going through, that ought to put worship in your heart. You know, he's talking here about singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Literally what he's saying there is that we ought to strum our hearts like a stringed instrument. That beautiful violin that we heard playing a moment ago. We, we ought to... Make melody to the Lord with our hearts. Not gloom, despair, agony, but making beautiful worship and melody unto the Lord. Let me ask you tonight, do you like to sing? I didn't ask you, can you sing? <laughs> Some of you are like the old guy I heard about that was out on the street corner of a big city and he was strumming an out-of-tune guitar, and he started singing, and the only thing worse than his guitar strumming was his voice. Finally, a guy walked up to him and said, Sir, I'm going to pay you $500 right now, right here, right on this spot, if you promise me that when I die, you'll sing at my funeral. 
And he said, sir, why in the world do you want me to sing at your funeral? You're a stranger to me. Why are you asking me to sing at your funeral? He said, because when people come to my service, I want somebody there to be genuinely sorry that I'm dead. (laughs) Now listen. I'm not asking you, can you sing? But I'm asking you tonight, Is there a song in your heart? And I'm talking about a beautiful song unto the Lord. A song that the world doesn't place and a song that the world can't take away. See, when you're filled with God, the Holy Spirit, that's what He does for you. Hear people talk all the time, well, church ain't like it used to be. Well, maybe you're not like you used to be. I used to tell people all the time, I don't want you to come to church to worship. I want you to come worshiping. I want you to come with your heart in tune with God. You see, a lot of people, they, they want to sow wild oats all week long and come to church on a Sunday morning, worship, and pray for a crop failure, and it doesn't work that way. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, He puts a song in your heart and you live a worshipful life. Look at verse 20. Not only is the filling of the Spirit obvious in that you live a worshipful life, but verse 20 tells us that you'll live a grateful life. Look at what it says. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me that's a beautiful verse? But would you also agree with me that that's really a hard verse? There's a few little words, honestly, that make that a very hard verse, giving thanks for all things? Really? And even before that, uses the word always, giving thanks always for all things. Lord, are you saying to me that I ought to give thanks when, when I go through these difficult moments and these hard valleys of life, when the darkness is all around me? Lord, are you telling me that even then I should give thanks? And God emphatically answers, yes, you should. Yes, you should. See, because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're reminded that you have something that people who are lost do not have. You have the presence of God in your life. And I would say to you tonight, I may have said this the last time I was here on Sunday morning, but it bears repeating Listen, being blessed doesn't mean what we think it means many times. You know, sometimes we say, I'm blessed if my relationships are good. I'm blessed if my health is well. I'm blessed if my family's getting along. I'm blessed if my checkbook is fat. I'm blessed if I have all of these things in life, 
and my friends, really that's not, not a one of those is really the great blessing. And then we look at the valleys and we say, I'm not blessed when I'm walking through the valley. Let me tell you what blessing in life is. Blessing is the presence of the Lord when you walk through the valley. That's what it's about. And even in life, if the only thing that you can know for certain is that your soul is saved, you have much. You have everything for which to praise the Lord and to be grateful and to be thankful. I'm just saying to you tonight, if you're one of these persons that walk through life blue all the time and you demonstrate a heart of ingratitude, you're probably not filled with the Spirit. Because Scripture says, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be worshipful and you'll be grateful. Let me give you one more. 21 says you'll be thoughtful. Notice what the Bible says. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Prepositional phrase there at the end. In the fear of God. God the Holy Spirit will remind you as you relate to other people that you ought to submit. And that's frankly not natural. That, that's not a thing of the flesh. In the flesh, you want your way. You remember the old Frank Sinatra and then Elvis song after that, I did it my way. And life becomes about my way. Life becomes about fending for yourself. Life becomes about making sure that you're where you're thinking you ought to be regardless of what you have to do to the other people in your life. Life becomes very self-absorbed. Some of you, I know a few of you for a fact, remember our old neighbor here in Rockcastle County, one, one of the finest men I've ever known in my life, Raymond McKinney. Brother Raymond, great farmer, raised a great family. Raymond had a funny way of putting it. He, he would talk about somebody boasting a little bit, and he would say, you know, every now and then you've got to toot your own tutor. Then he had a proverb that went like this, and Raymond would say, he that tooteth not his own tutor often doesn't get his tutor tootethed. <laughs> yes, sir, that's what he said. And he's right. But the fact of the matter is, that's not life in the Spirit. That's life in the flesh. Life in the flesh. Life in the flesh is about your way or the highway, regardless of what anybody thinks or how anybody else feels. That's life in the flesh. But life in the Spirit 
is about submitting to one another in the fear of God. Boy, I could preach another message tonight about the fear of God because that's something else we've lost. Let me tell you, Paul's using that prepositional phrase there in the fear of God to emphasize what he's saying about submitting to one another. Here's what he's saying. He's saying God cares deeply about how we relate to one another. Did you know that? God cares about how you relate to your fellow man. Here scripture says to submit to one another. And what I'm trying to get you to see is if you're not filled with the Spirit, you find it so very difficult to submit to others in the fear of God. You ever heard about church problems? It's an amazing thing. Churches go through problems. They do. I've worked with a lot of them. One of the, one of the things that I did in, in my former ministry was that I, I worked with churches that were in conflict. I'm telling you what, the last one I worked, we had, we had to bring an army of eight or nine of us to sit down with the opposing forces of a large church here in Kentucky. You would know the church. I won't call out the name. But we had to spend uh, the, the better part of a week doing interviews and then coming together and challenging them uh, to, to just start loving one another again, to start submitting to one another. Now, let me be very clear about this. There are some things in the church that we ought to never submit on. Number one, we never submit to anybody else about our faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We don't submit to what somebody else thinks about the Bible, but we submit to what God tells us in His Word. But here's what I found out. Most of our churches, they don't argue about doctrine. They don't argue about what the Bible says. Every now and then they do, but not often. Do you know what they argue about? They argue about the insignificant. How we're going to spend money for this or that. How we're going to decorate our building. How we're going to do our services. What kind of music are are we going to allow to be performed or sung in the church. That's what they argue about. And I hope that you never find yourself guilty of an argument like that because I have some news for you tonight. Listen, this is not your church. Now, I know that you can say that and you can say that with a godly sort of pride and I understand that. You ought to... Love Bible Baptist Church. 
And with spiritual pride, you ought to be able to say, I'm a member of that church. And I understand what you mean when you say, that's my church. But when it comes to ownership, this is not your church. This is the Lord's church. Jesus died for His church. Jesus rose again for His church. And one day, Jesus Christ is coming again for His church. First, last, and always, it's His church. And how dare we to choose up sides and to break off into factions when the Lord says, here's what you need. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And on these things that are just up to personal preference, submit to one another. Submit to one another. You can't do that if you're full of yourself. You can only do that when you're full of the Holy Spirit. I hope you see it now. It's obvious, right? Make sure you never forget what we're talking about tonight. When the Bible addresses being filled with the Spirit, it never mentions speaking in some unknown tongue. When the Bible addresses being filled with the Spirit, it never says anything about running the aisles and jumping the pews and all those kinds of things. It doesn't say that. When the Bible describes what the Spirit-filled life looks like, it says this, you'll be worshipful, you'll be grateful, and you'll be thoughtful. That's what it says. So let's go back to our question as we close tonight. Are you full of the Holy Spirit right now? Are you full of God the Holy Spirit? Are you worshipful? I mean truly worshipful. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours in those days. Are you a worshipful person? Are you a grateful person thanking God? even when you're walking in the valley because you know that all things work together for the good, those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. See, that's the perspective that the Holy Spirit gives you when you're full of Him. So are you grateful? And are you thoughtful? Thoughtful in your relationships at church? Thoughtful in your relationships at work? And I tell you where it really shows up, thoughtful in your relationships at home. See, if you're not, you need to cry out like I do many times. Don't ever get the idea that I'm pointing a finger at you. If I am, there's three coming back at me. And so many times in my life, I have to just stop and say, Lord, forgive me. And it doesn't always 
show up in my act. My actions are pretty good, but it shows up in my reactions. And I start reacting in a way that's not, let alone being a preacher, but being a child of God. And I just have to stop. I have to say, Lord, I'm a mess. I'm not acting the way I act, and I'm sure not reacting the way I ought to react. And so, Lord, forgive me. I confess it to you. And God, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Does that need to be your prayer tonight? I don't know if you all ever sung it, but we used to sing it in the old hymn. Pentecostal power, not Pentecostal the way you might be thinking of Pentecostal. But listen to the words of that old hymn. It's a prayer. It says this, Lord... As of old at Pentecost thou didst thy power display with cleansing, purifying flame descend on us today. Lord, send the old time power, the Pentecostal power. Thy floodgates of blessing on us throw open wide. Lord, send the old time power, the Pentecostal power that sinners be converted and thy name glorified. Stand with me. Would you bow your heads? And I'm going to pray for you. And as we walk through this passage this morning, this evening, there still may be others here tonight, and you're, you're saying, you know, it is obvious And my life obviously is not full of the Spirit. It can be. That's your privilege. If you need to come, if you need to pray, if you need to take this with you, if you need to sit down in your seat and pray, just be obedient tonight. Tell the Lord that you're thankful for His Spirit. Confess anything that's filling your life in replacement of the Holy Spirit. And then just ask Him, Lord, would you please send the fresh fire of your Spirit in my heart and in my life? Oh, Lord. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the gift of your Spirit. Thank you that we can live in the fullness of your Spirit. Father, just pray for your people tonight if there's one that just needs to come in response to what you've shared with us tonight from your Word. Lord, help that person be bold and quick to do whatever you've called him or her to do. God, fill Bible Baptist Church with your spirit. I pray and I ask that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
and amen.